we are afraid of birth because that is, um, that is everything we've been told. Birth has been taken from us. It's been stolen from us for a very, very long time. And uh, we have, you know, burned, killed, and jailed the medicine women, you know, the, the witches and the midwives and the healers and the herbalists and all of the women who supported women and who held who, the knowers, right? The knowers have all been uh, mostly wiped out. It's a real struggle to stay alive if you are a knower that walks with women. Um, so that was very systemically and successfully done over, over the past many thousands of years, as I'm sure you know. Um, you know, we're afraid of birth today because why wouldn't we be? <laughs> There's nothing injected into our lives as girls that uh, tells us, that normalizes it, that, that allies us to it. Hello, friends, and welcome to Medicine Stories, where we are remembering what it is to be human upon the earth. I am your host, Amber Magnolia Hill, and this is episode 48. Today, I'm sharing my interview with Emily Saldea of the Free Birth Society. I was interviewed on Emily's Free Birth Society podcast a couple months ago. You can listen there. I talk about my two daughters very different birth stories. The first was a free birth, or as I now conceive of it after listening, after interviewing Emily, uh, my ancestor assisted birth in 2006. And I mean, it, it truly was, as I believe all of our births are, because birth is in your bones if you're a woman. Um, and the second birth, a midwife, and ancestor-assisted birth in 2016. So one really fell outside the dominant medical paradigm and one fell under the midwifery model of care. And they were both wonderful. And I love birth and I love birth stories. And as I tell Emily, I can't believe it's taken me this long to actually talk about birth on the podcast because I always intended to. And as I shared in the very first episode, episode number one, I have been, I had been wanting to start a podcast since 2006 when my oldest was born. And back then it was going to be related to birth and mothering and breastfeeding and herbal home care for children. And um, I, I love that it evolved into what it is now, but I'm also really happy to be returning to, to my roots and my original vision by talking about birth. Um, Emily is wonderful, so whip smart, and really thinks, has thought through things that I have never thought about before. So on that note, she says some things that will be controversial to some, that will be triggering to some people. And as always, I invite you to keep going, to sit with it, to hold nuance, to let yourself be challenged. You can hear that she challenges my thinking with something she says. And I welcome that. I love when that happens. When I hear a piece of information that like, you know, like it's hard for me to take in because it totally goes against something that I believe um, I soften and I open to it. And I give it some time, you know, to really listen to what the person's argument is and what they're saying and then see where I where I come out at the end of holding the nuance and holding the space to possibly have my mind changed if we are not 
staying open like that and changing our minds, we are calcifying, we're solidifying, we're aging too early, we're not evolving and growing. So I love that I have really attracted an audience of people who are capable of critical thinking and nuanced thinking. Um, you all are so smart and open. I, my mind is just blown all the time by posts and comments in the Medicine Stories Facebook group and on my Instagram posts. And just thank you so much for being those people in this culture right now, because there's not a ton of them, a ton of us, a ton of you, and it's really needed. So thank you so much. Uh, the Patreon offerings for this course, there are two of them. One is for patrons at the $2 level, and one is free for everyone. So the one that's available for patrons at patreon.com slash medicine stories is a $50 off coupon code for the Free Birth Society's online course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth a self-guided online intensive course that will teach you everything you need to know about how to birth freely and in your power. And they make it clear on the on the website for this that it's not just for people who are going to have a total free birth with no medical assistance or, you know, official official of some sort, even a midwife in attendance. Um if you're just planning a free birth or if you just want to be more empowered in mammalian birth, I really, this perspective, this framing of remembering that we are animals and that we are mammals. We're a very specific kind of animal who has a very specific um, cascade of hormones that get released in the birth process for optimal birthing. And that almost everything we do today in birth um, disrupts the natural cascade of hormones that every mammal has evolved to release to have the best, most healthy um, birth for mother and baby. So yeah, I just, I love that phrase. I know it probably doesn't work for everyone, but if you want to know the physiology behind mammalian birth and to empower yourself to have that sort of birth, um, check out their, their online course and the link will be there in the Patreon post. And then the second Patreon offering is an audio clip of what Emily and I talked about after the official interview was over. So in the last minute of this interview, she mentions vasectomy. And then we like said our goodbyes. And then I was like, wait, Emily, like, tell me more about vasectomy because Owen and I had an appointment for him to have one. And he had already gone to the first appointment, like the informational appointment. And this is something we'd gone back and forth on forever trying to figure out if this was right for us. And, you know, I was really coming at it from the perspective of like <laughs> women take on all the burden when it comes to birth control and childbearing. And can you just do something? Can you just step in and do something for once, you know, which is totally valid, but it also didn't really ever feel good to us. Um, and as you'll hear in that clip, we had actually already canceled the appointment, but but postponed really in our minds 
Um, you can, I'm not going to give you the details, but it's a short clip and it's really informative. And I just appreciate what Emily has to say. And, you know, let me say here too, I just want to make it really clear though. Emily does say this in the interview that we have no judgment around how individual families and women and female bodied people choose to birth, choose to have vasectomies or not, you know, (laughs) but what Emily is critiquing and I am aligned with her in this is the system is the dominant medical patriarchal birthing paradigm that is so far removed from our innate physiology. It's, absurd and insane. Um, so keep that in mind. Again, if this is something that might sort of trigger you because you made different choices, like it's not on you. It's not on you. It's on the culture that you were born into. Um, a very quick listener shout out. This is a iTunes review from Kara Witt who wrote, I don't know why it's taken me so long to review your podcast, Amber. I've been listening since day one and absorbing each wise, rich conversation through my ears and through my skin, feeling so nourished by what comes through. I truly feel that the mythic journey of my life, which at times has felt much more subtle or imperceptible, has been teased out and made accessible through the beautiful stories shared here. I really love that because that's exactly my intention. Keep following the mythic threads of your own unfolding path and in sharing people's medicine stories, it's exactly what I hope to inspire. Um, So you'll notice that even when I'm interviewing someone like Emily, where we're really talking about the work that they do and we could get super heady and intellectual with it, um, we always go into their personal medicine stories. And my favorite one in this interview is about the dolphins. I mean, I was crying. I had tears coming out of my eyeballs as Emily was telling this story. It's so, so beautiful. So you're, you're in for a real treat in a few minutes here when you get to listen to the dolphin story. I really also just loved this idea that Emily framed for me of the matriarchal home. And I realized that I do have a matriarchal home. Um, I have a home in which I am centered and my daughters are centered. And it's not in a way that my husband's perspectives or opinions are meaningless. We're a total team. Um, but he, he listens to me. He's not trying to dominate. He's not bringing that toxic patriarchal masculine energy to our interactions or our conflicts or our decision making. And I've been in a relationship like that. And I left that relationship because it was not working. It wasn't working in the home and it wasn't working for the family. And, you know, it's just biologically speaking. And of course here I'm talking purely about cis hetero couples But looking at the evolution of our species, women and the womb havers and the birth givers, we, our senses are more attuned. They're more attuned to our children and they're more attuned to all humans um, and to the social unit of the family. So generally speaking, most of the time, women are going to have the better perspective or idea 
I don't even know if better is the right word, just like more in alignment with the truth of the family unit and the humans in it, the tiny humans in it. So my relationship now works so much better than my relationship that my family works better now because I am allowed that space. Um, It's hard to talk about and I don't want to offend anyone and I really don't think I'm going to offend Owen by talking about this because he's just like naturally one of those amazing men who who innately understands this that like when women lead it is better for everyone and of course he sometimes gets frustrated with my (laughs) opinions and my desire to um you know have my decision be the one that we make or whatever but the conversation also reminded me of something I believe I brought this up one time before on the podcast but of this diagram that I saw once in a Taoist medicine book and so it was a male and female form. It was just like a line drawing. And it was showing how in the Taoist medical belief system, how energy runs through male and female bodies. And through the male body, it came from outside through the head down and out the penis. So it was like very, you know, and outward. And in the female drawing, the energy drew up from the earth up into the vagina and then into the woman's center heart space, if I remember correctly. And I remember the text saying something like, this is why everyone is attracted to women, not necessarily sexually, but just wants to be around women. You know, this is why mothers are, you know, revered as they are. Um, Why most children at least slightly prefer the mother and the mother energy. Why Mother's Day is just a little bit bigger of a deal than Father's Day. No offense, guys. Um, but I just, I always remembered that perspective from Dallas Mess, and I always remembered that diagram. And when Emily brought up this idea of the matriarchal home, I was like, that's exactly it. You know, that that's what she's talking about there. So I just want to give a little farther perspective and more of my thoughts on this idea, because I think that anyone who has lived in both homes know which one works better. And even if you haven't, you can immediately instinctively understand what the difference between them might be. And it's just something, something to hold and to like uphold, you know, as, as a, as a nice way to, um, structure families and homes. I know it's not always easy, especially if you got one of those toxic patriarchal dudes in your life. Uh, final thought here is that, in in the vasectomy talk, if you listen, Emily briefly mentions vaccines. I haven't talked about vaccines since episode 30 with Silla Whatcott, which has been the third most downloaded episode, and people still write me about it to thank me for it all the time, the innate intelligence of the immune system. And I'm not going to talk about them right now, but I have been talking about them a lot on Instagram and Instagram stories in light of the totally insane legislation coming down right now here in California with SB 276 and across the nation. If you're not tuned into it, there's different mandated vaccine bills um, in a lot of states right now, and many of them are being defeated. Um, In one state, even religious exemptions were upheld. Here, they're trying to completely take away medical exemptions for all intents and purposes, which means no matter what your genetic predisposition or if your four siblings all had severe life-threatening or even life-taking reactions to vaccines, you have to get them. 
Um, it's crazy and it's an issue of medical freedom. And so anyway, if you would like a shit ton of information as it's been filtered through my brain, most of it coming from actual books written by actual doctors, you can see the highlights at um, at my Instagram profile, which is Mythic Medicine. If you're not on Instagram, you can do Instagram.com slash Mythic Medicine. And you can see the highlights there. And yeah, so it does, though, tie into what Emily's talking about here, because it's about medical freedom and bodily sovereignty. And if you care about what's happening with abortion right now, then you should care about what's happening with mandated vaccines, because it's, it's the same thing. It's taking away bodily sovereignty from women and from parents over their children. And it's crazy. Many parents who have vaccinated their kids are still staunchly opposed to this legislation because it's so over the top. So again, not going into it. Find it on Instagram. Thanks for listening. And now let's get into this incredible interview with Emily Saldea. Hi, Emily. Welcome to Medicine Stories. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm stoked to have you. I love this because I was interviewed on your podcast and got to know you through there, got to dive deeper into your work. Um, and I'm so excited because you're fine. I'm finally talking about birth on mm. my show. Have you I not talked about it much? No, it's been a year and a half. And like birth is what um, brought me into the blogosphere 10 years ago, which mm-hmm. led directly to this and always from the beginning of starting the show, I thought that birth would be like a major component of it. Interesting. I know hasn't worked out. So it's so great that here you are. Um, I want to know, cause I don't know this. I want to know how you came to be doing what you're doing, which is really holding this like huge space. Like you use the, the term radical birth keeper before mm-hmm. we started talking. And that really describes you. And I'm thinking about when your daughter was born and thinking that you were into all this before you gave birth and before oh, yeah. you became a mother. So what brought, what brought you into such a deep interest and um, desire to inspire around birth? Yeah. Well, do you want the short answer or the longer answer? I never want the short answer. <laughs> okay. So the longer answer is... Um, you know, I'm one of those women that my whole life I knew that I'd have children. I, my imaginary friends when I was a kid were my future children. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was one of those people. Um, and so, and I had a wonderful mother and she always spoke or have, um, she's still alive and um, always spoke so positively about birth and mothering and um, breastfeeding. And um, that was highly impactful as I grew up because I didn't have to process like many women, any um, of the trauma coming in um, with, with trauma stories at my back. And so I left high school early. I dropped out quite early. I was 16 and wanted to go to LA and my mom, when I sat my, my parents down and let them know I'd be leaving and withdrawing and it was time for me to start my, my real life. Um, they said, okay, totally. But um, my, my preference would be that you have a plan and that you have an idea of, of what you're going to do. And I said, that's completely fair. I'll think on it. <laughs> Wait, so- I have to ask if your parents were like, cool, you can quit high school. Um, oh no, like- I didn't ask their permission. <laughs> I said, I'm going to withdraw from school. <laughs> but they were like, okay with it. Yeah, they really were. 
Was that because you were having real problems or just because you'd always just been like, I'm doing what I'm doing. And they were like, this is just Emily. We got to let her go. Both, both. Um, Let's see. So I did boarding school for two years, the first two years of high school. And uh, this is like a whole nother side note, but I thought I was going to be a professional soccer player and I was on track. I was obsessed with soccer. I was really good at it and um, was going to be going to Shanghai for my junior year to play soccer there. And I was learning Mandarin and um, it was this whole part, funny part of my life. And then, uh, and then I was injured and I really hurt my, I severed my ACL, um, and needed surgery. And, uh, it was a long road to recovery. So soccer was out and fell in love with a boy, came home to Florida, um, attempted to do a year at public high school and never went. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot happening in my family that wasn't working for me. And in my boyfriend at the time's family, that was, um, not good. And so the short version is we pretty much never went to school, but we maintained straight A's. We became friends with all the security guards. We worked at Panera Bread together. So we would bring <laughs> the security guards like donuts and um, you know bagels every day and became their friends. So they didn't care when we left. And uh, yeah, we just showed up for the appropriate tests and we're really never there. And we just, we were over it. We were just like, this is not life. We're ready. We had a couple of thousands of dollars, which is hilarious because we moved to LA with $2,000. And when we were 16, we thought that that was like, you know, what can't you do? (laughs) What can't you do at 16 with $2,000? Like the world was, was ours. And, um, anyway, so, so there, yeah, there were a lot of components to it, but it was largely just that I, was ready. I was ready to start. I was ready to to do things. And as was my boyfriend at the time and um, my mom had gotten remarried and it just wasn't like working for the level of independence I required. Um, The family dynamic that I was in, um, it wasn't working. And so yeah, I just kind of claimed it, you know, and it's funny because two years prior uh, in when I was 14, in eighth grade, I sat my parents down. This is the first time I did it. And I sat them down and I said, look, this isn't working. I can't be here. Like, I don't want to live with you guys. I don't, this isn't working for me, but let's just be honest. I'm too young to run away because I have no skills. (laughs) I remember saying that to them and then being like, yeah, no, we know you're 14. (laughs) So so, were you like, I found this boarding school. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So I said, I found this school where I can start on varsity with soccer and, you know, would you guys pay for it? And thankfully, um, I grew up in a, in a affluent home where they could finance, um, my request. So anyway, I did that and then everything happened. So here we are at 16. My mom says, please just have a plan. And so why I was telling that story was that it was this very pivotal night for me where I stayed up all night um, really thinking on it and really being like, what matters? Here I am about to embark on my life by myself with my boyfriend, you know, but by myself as an adult, um, what matters? What am I going to do when I get there? And I remember I just couldn't stop thinking about babies and I couldn't stop thinking about, um, this is a little dark, but I couldn't stop thinking about a a friend of mine in high school who had just been raped. And I kept thinking about babies and I kept thinking about violence and I kept thinking about the cycle of violence and that violence begets violence. And um, I just kept going back to this mother baby 
kind of circle or cycle in my head. And I just came to know, now I've come to know it, you know, with every, with every cell in my body, I came to um, this, you know, realization that if a mother and a baby um, have a good start, have a healthy attachment, if the mother feels um, able to mother intuitively and instinctually, um, and if a baby is respected and, um, you know, grown up in a safe place, um, how could they rape? That was kind of my, again, a little dark, but that was my, that was my like weird little formula that I just was laying there in my bed. I remember exactly the moment. I just was like kind of spinning on this and was like, oh my God, I may have just discovered the answer to everything. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's mother baby. That is everything. And so I remember Googling. Um, I remember thinking, well, I like babies. I like massage. I wonder if there's anything called baby massage. So I Googled baby massage and it turns out that there was a whole thing about it. There was a whole training and certification and a whole um, kind of profession around uh, what I then went on to do. So that was my plan. So I emerged from that long night of thinking uh, and told my mom, I'm going to teach baby massage. <laughs> she was like, okay. <laughs> so we get to LA, I take the training and I, um, and I start teaching, I start volunteering. And I very quickly wound up with this organization where I was supporting parents whose babies had had uh, open heart surgery and whose babies were in uh, in hospital still, um, or wh- whose babies were in hospice, mm-hmm. which is about as you know about as tragic and painful mm-hmm. as it gets. But there was something about me being so young and so open and so you know like the world hadn't beaten me down yet. <laughs> I was I was so able to do it, and actually I think I I still would be, but but it you know. It's, it's different in a, in a way now. Um, anyway, and so, and I was doing a lot of yoga. I'd already found Kundalini. I was meditating every day. I was doing Kundalini every day. And I just was like, I was just becoming a fucking Jedi. <laughs> and so I found this thing and very quickly realized um, what was profound about it, which is that when you support a mother to be in her instinct, um, the mother-baby conversation can happen. The mother-baby communication, the mother-baby attachment can happen. And I wasn't really doing anything. I was just providing, like, I don't touch the babies. I was just providing a space um, and encouraging and loving moms, sometimes dads, um, to be present with their babies. And it was profound. It was highly impactful for me um, to see how simple it was and to see how transformative it was to to love a woman, you know, to love a mother who was really uh, navigating some impossible waters. And I was just like, okay, yeah, no, I was right. This is it. This is where everything is. (laughs) This is it. I found the Holy Grail. It's mother baby. And uh, I took off to India for quite some time and uh, just kind of traveled around and fell in love with India and taught me many, 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 many lessons that stories for another day and um, very humbling and, and was a huge, hugely pivotal time in my life to go to both Burning Man and India in the same year. <laughs> it's just like, oh, like everything was coming together for me. And I was so awake and so open and had found these older sisters that were paving um, 
the road of consciousness and health, you know, for me in a big way. Um, and anyway, yeah, everything was just exploding and I was so ready for it. And uh, when I came home, people started asking me to attend their births. And so that was, um, the, the, the brief version of that was I first saw a series of home births. Um, they were my family, my, my father's, it was my father's wife at the time's child. So my half sister mm-hmm. in Hawaii, um, outside under a mango tree oh my God. on a bay where the spinner dolphins live, where um, the locals say that, yeah, everybody, her jaws <laughs> dropped open. <laughs> no, it was like actually like that. It was one of the most magical things I've ever witnessed. And it was my first birth. It was my initiation to birth. Mm-hmm. And these, we were on a bay. My father had rented a home on this bay where the locals say that um, the it's it's believed in some Hawaiian mythology that dolphins are aliens and that they are popping in and out of a portal um, mm. at this bay where my mm. little sister was born. Oh my God. And I gotta say, man, I'm 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 convinced. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was it was magic. And anyway, the dolphins were you know jumping, and it was a pretty quick birth and. Um, it was it was just so beautiful, and the can mother- I just say I wonder if yeah. this is related? Sorry, my friend gave me a book. She knows I like like super radical, weird like seventies books, <laughs> and it, it's called like Dolphins, Telepathy, and Birth. <laughs> Ooh, I want to see it. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And then I also think of that film. Is it Birth into Being? that I watched a million times when I was pregnant with my first where there's like the women giving birth in the sea in Russia mm-hmm. and they talk about there being dolphins in mm-hmm. the water with them. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That video is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, he was on, she was on land, but the, the night prior to um, her waters opened the day prior and it was a full moon of course. And we went out on a boat under the full moon and she didn't get in the water because her waters were open, but uh, my sister and I did and my older sister and we swam in the moonlight of the full moon with my baby sister on her way with the dolphins oh, everywhere. Shut I know. It's like all I want out of life. And okay. Since we're talking about dolphins also, I had met this guy who was like supposed to be some dolphin psychic he like pretty much was a dolphin as a human. Man. I mean, <laughs> seriously, like I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't met him, but he like is a dolphin as a man. And so he had taught me how dolphins communicate very briefly. Like he had just said, you know, if you want to call them, you picture yourself with them and they work with telepathy. And so, you know, you just have to drop into that and, um, you know, tell them, like picture yourself with them and, and tell them uh, what you want to do with them and, and it'll probably work. And so the first morning I was there, this is one of my most favorite stories in my entire life that it have, has ever happened to me. The first morning I arrived, which was I think the day prior to her waters opening. So it was like in the magic of the birth, but the day prior, um, my dad had woken me up and threw some fins at, and a mask at me and said, um, hey, the dolphins are out, go, you know, go. And I had never really swam with a pod of dolphins. I grew up in Florida and, and had been around dolphins quite a bit because we'd lived on rivers and, and oceans and stuff, but I had never had anything quite like this. So I put my mask on, I put my fins on, and I just take off from, from their backyard. And I'm swimming out to the middle of this bay. 
And I'm like, my adrenaline, I'm so excited. And I actually didn't see them yet. And maybe I saw them from a distance, I don't remember, but I'm taken off. I swim, 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 swim. And I swim pretty far out. And I, I kind of realized how far I had just swam. It's not like I'm a swimmer. <laughs> and I was a little out of breath and I, you know, was kind of just moving on adrenaline. And I kind of realized, oh shit, I just, I just swam pretty far from, from my dad's house. Where are the dolphins? And I couldn't find them anywhere. And I had a moment. It's very deep. They say that they've never found the bottom of the bay. And because that's where the portal is. So I had a moment of panic and was like, oh, did I just do something really stupid? Like I grew up in oceans and, and I'm, I'm pretty, pretty smart about how not to do stupid things in the ocean. But for a moment, I was like, oh, I think I might have just done something dumb. I'm tired and I'm far away. Anyway, so I remembered the guy's advice and he said, you know, call them with your mind. So I picture that I'm in the middle of a family of dolphins and I just start calling them and I'm closing my eyes and I have my head in the, in the water and I'm just like, okay, if anyone's out there, come be with me, come be with me. And I'm calling them. I swear to God, I have my eyes looking down with my mask on. I see these two scouter dolphins emerge from deep, deep, deep down and they come up on either side of me. And then I was like, oh my God, is this really happening? Is this really happening? And then an entire family comes up from the bottom and one of them had a little baby dolphin with her and they all come up and I was like, <gasps> and I was so in it and I was like, okay, let's swim together. And so I just like kind of shot that to them, like, let's go. And we all freaking swam together. And then we were swimming and they didn't go that fast. Like I could totally, you're like, this is her. I'm actually fine. <laughs> <laughs> it was really like in the top three most highlight, beautiful, beautiful, epic things that's ever happened to me. So I'm yeah. literally, literally swimming with a pot of dolphins, trying not to shit myself with excitement. Like, <laughs> this is like my life's dream. <laughs> and we're swimming and I remember every time and I just kind of dropped into it and I was kind of moving my body like theirs and I just relaxed. And anytime I needed to come up and take a break, I would just tell them, Hey, cause we were swimming below the surface. And I would say like, Hey, I need to take a break. And I would picture myself going up there and the scouter dolphins would come up with me and then we'd go back down. So we did this for some period of time. And then again, I had this moment where I was like, oh, wow, I was not paying attention to where we were going. I'm just in freaking ecstasy. Um, maybe I've done something stupid. I don't even know where, how, if maybe I was flying or you know swimming in a different direction. It felt like flying. <laughs> and so I kind of had this moment of panic of, oh my gosh, did I just be stupid again? And I look up and they had brought me home. Oh my God. <laughs> and they had brought me to the jetty where the rocks were. And I was right there, right when I was starting to be like, I'm tired. And that was it. And then I, I realized I was there trying not to cry, feeling like I just had the most spiritual experience of my life at that point. I was like 18. And then I kind of went back to look for them and they were gone. Oh anyway, my <laughs> that was my, my intro into birth. So here we are. <laughs> oh, I'm so, so glad we went there. Oh yeah. I'm, I haven't, I haven't thought of that story in a while. I think about um, how, you know, dolphins echolocate and use sonar to find their way around and to communicate and how there's this idea that now I'm wanting to look more deeply into that they, can, they literally have three-dimensional picture in their mind of our bodies and the insides of our bodies. Mm. They're just like know you at mm. such a deep level because they're like, oh, so what's going on? This is where her energy's stuck. This is where mm. this dolphin therapy. Yes. And so people, you know, have had experiences where they're swimming with dolphins and people have even reported that they start like clicking at them 
clicking oh, yeah. at like their stomach cancer or whatever. Oh yeah. When we swam with them with um with my sister's mom when her waters were open, they were absolutely talking to the baby. They were jumping out of the water and oh, yeah. moving their bodies and putting their little heads um mm-hmm. at her belly and mm-hmm. oh yeah. And I just heard recently that whales dolphins and humans are the only mammals that survive past menopause. Mm-hmm. That there's a purpose for female mammals in, in our three species um, beyond menopause. Every other mammal apparently dies at menopause because, okay, they're done breeding, they're, they're done. Well, that's what we talked about when right. you interviewed me, the grandmother hypothesis. Yep. I yeah. totally thought of you when I heard that. Oh my God. Oh, I love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, you know, to wrap up the beginning part of the birth work, I had a, a pretty epic entry into birth. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's like the multiverse being like, Emily, welcome to your path. But you are on the right path. Yes. And so, so my first couple births were like that. Then one of my best friends gave birth and had a totally orgasmic, ecstatic birth. Um, and my joke with her is I've actually seen her on a lot of ecstasy in the past and <laughs> never had I seen her so high and in such ecstasy as in her birth. And, uh, and so, yeah, I had these beautiful uh, initiations into supporting birth and witnessing women give birth. And then I went to my first hospital birth. And that was really when I started to align with my dharma because it wasn't until I saw how birth and women were being sabotaged and oppressed and abused did I realize what was going on. You know, it, I left that first birth, which was a um, bullied induction for no medical reasons, as there are almost no medical reasons ever for induction, and um, uh, just bullied all the way and ended with this unnecessary c section and I left there after spending you know a couple of days there and I remember going to the Kaiser parking lot where my car was you know i hadn 't slept in a couple of nights it was so it was so painful to watch my friend go through this and uh I remember getting on my knees partially because I was so tired and like shaking from what I had just seen and just getting on my knees and looking up at the cloudy LA sky and just being like, fuck, this is it. Like I'm in it. I'm in this for life. Like this is, oh my God, I had no idea because I had only seen beautiful birth. Mm. I had only seen respected birth. And the spectrum, as you know, and as anyone listening probably knows, the spectrum of a birth experience is about as wide as you get. You know, it, it like sex, it can make or break you. If you are respected and supported and seen and accepted, um, wow, you know, it's the most powerful transformational spiritual experience that women have available to them, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And if you are raped of that, and I don't say that lightly, if you are raped of that, um, it can really, really try to ruin you. It can really break you and leave you feeling um, beyond a failure, leaving you feel, feeling like your body has betrayed you, you couldn't do what you were you know, created to do, um, and that has disastrous consequences um, to your mothering right? Which you're now forever a mother. So 
I took a doula training and kind of got wrapped up in the self-importance of the professionalism of doula, doula-ine, and uh, created a business and was very quickly busy. And I just kind of went in full throttle. Uh, I started attending a lot of births in the system. And I was still very young. And so I didn't have all the pieces put together of what I was witnessing. And I still believed the lie that if a woman... Um, if a woman had a vaginal birth or if a woman, how would I articulate this? I still believe the lie that hospital birth could be okay, that that natural birth was possible leaving your home. Um, and a lot of this, I think, in retrospect, was clouded in my own self-importance that I, as a young woman, had found a career and was making money. and. Um, was very important. You know, these women wanted me at their births. These women, uh, I never felt like they needed me, but, but, you know, it, it was, it was, it was complicated as, as money can be. Um, because I realized after a couple of years that I was actually enabling the system and that I thought I was fighting against, but I also was sabotaging, uh, women's births on some level, um, because I felt like I needed to prove that I was worth being there because they had paid me X amount of dollars. And so when I was younger, I would approach births like, well, I can't do nothing. You know, I have to show that I deserve to be here. And I think if doulas are honest, I think many can, and midwives could, um, could admit to that. Not understanding physiological birth, not understanding undisturbed birth, even though I had touched it, like I had witnessed it uh, with these other births. Um, yeah, I had a long road to go. I hadn't, I hadn't totally aligned with the, f- with my blooming feminism. And, you know, and I was really young, I was 17, 18, 19, you know, in the beginning of this story. So I was really freaking young and had, had really started this path very early. And so Basically, my 20s was this whole journey of being a, a very successful doula a, and a midwife's assistant, attending a lot of births, hundreds and hundreds of births. And uh, and did you did you never see a natural birth in the hospital? Um, what you said earlier was kind of like that. That's a lie. Can it you is just a lie. tell me tell Absolutely. me more about that? Yeah, yeah. There's no such thing as a natural birth once you've left your home. So I know that's going to be very triggering for somebody, but hear me out. Um, you know, and it's okay. It, then, okay, we could easily get into like what's natural or whatever. But if we're going to talk about physiological birth, which is you know pretty easy to to talk about, physiological birth follows a certain hormonal sequence that is disrupted once you leave your home. So, uh, a natural birth, if we're going to, I would say a natural birth, quote unquote, is a physiological birth. It is as nature intended. There is a physiological sequence that occurs in all mammals. It's not unique to us. You know, zebras follow it. Dogs follow it. There's a, there's a hormonal sequence. Um, anyway, so point being that, yes, you can have a vaginal birth at the hospital. but Drug-free. Yes, and but. you also for sure are going to have vaginal exams by strangers. You're going to uh, probably have the gown on. You'll, you'll probably have an IV port, you know, the Heplock. Um, you will have been in a car and had to go through the hormonal disruption of switching mm-hmm. into adrenaline, fight or flight, mm-hmm. uh, with raised cortisol levels. Once you're in the car, if you are not in your own environment, your your mammalian brain is not registering as safe. 
This isn't about your your neocortex, you know, saying and your social conditioning saying you're safer at a hospital. Your primal brain doesn't know that. What your primal brain knows is I have left my safe nest, my den, my cave. My den, my cave where 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 it is full of my germs, right? <laughs> my smells, my fabrics, my food, my everything, my people. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, I mean, no, no other mammal does this. Right. Right. You don't leave. In, in fact, mammals go deeper into their nest or, or their cave or right. their den as they go to the darkest corner, the safest right. spot. And if anyone's ever, you know, had uh, pets like cats or dogs, what do they do? They don't go mm-hmm. to the middle of the living room and spread their legs open for everybody. Um, absolutely not. You know, they, they, you'll find uh, your cat just gave birth in a closet, you know, they, or in they a drawer. They out the fluorescent lights. <laughs> Right. The strangers. They're like, the where? Yeah, they're going to go in the middle of the road and invite everybody <laughs> over. You know, nobody does that. And so I guess my, my point is that when we're talking about physiological birth um, and, and the intended, supportive, necessary, actually, hormonal sequence um, that is required to have an optimal, you know, normal vaginal birth um, doesn't happen once you've left your home. You got in the car, you got the strangers, you got the bright lights, you're in someone, you know, you're in a gown, you're being monitored, you're being assessed, you're being disrupted, you're being talked to, you're being asked a million questions, even if you don't get the epidural or the pit, um, which is a very, very, very tiny percent of women who don't get epidurals and pit, but they exist. I've seen it. Um, I still, right. Pitocin. I still can't, uh, I still can't uh, capitulate to this notion that it is a natural birth and that is not to shame anybody. That is not, that is not to take away from anything that you feel or think about your own birth. uh, If you find what I'm saying completely appalling, I'm talking about biology. I'm talking about physiology. I'm talking about the, the, the very real fact that we are animals and um, that, that optimal birth for the vast majority of mothers and babies um, is to be done at home undisturbed. So, yeah. so does that kind of answer the, your question? Yeah. The optimal primal hormonal unfolding is disrupted yes. if you leave your death. It just is. It is. And this, I think I talked about this on your show. Um, this exact notion was so inspiring to me when I was pregnant with my first, when I found Sarah Buckley's article, The Hormonal Blueprint of Birth. Exactly. It's a great one. And it's, it's just exactly what you're talking about. She made the same point about the mammals. And I was just like, oh yeah, oh yeah, of course. Okay. Why, why would I leave my home to birth my children? Right. I mean, and side note, this is a whole tangent. We don't need to get too far down, but, but, you know, ultrasound technology is an interesting uh, example of this where we detach ourselves from the reality that we're animals. There's all these studies, ample studies done by, by medicine, by Western, you know, medicine that proves repeatedly that ultrasound objectively harms fetuses in other animals. And yet, <laughs> there is this willingness, this cognitive dissonance that that somehow doesn't apply to our babies. <laughs> it makes no fucking sense. Well, Emily, that's me. I didn't have an ultrasound with my first because I knew about those studies. And with my second, I just wanted to know so bad the sex of this baby. And so I willfully did not read up on those studies again, even though I thought about it. I was like, maybe I should check into those and like remind myself, but I didn't. And I had the ultrasound. And well, what you, 
<laughs> I was so happy. But what you did was you you chose a different priority, right? Mm-hmm. So if you if some part of you knew that it's objectively harmful and it 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 objectively damages healthy tissue, it just does. It's the same technology that breaks up um, tumors. Mm. It's the same technology. It's not different. It's literally the same. But anyway, it's you know, a long you, time too. I thought it was just like little scan, then you know, right. but it's an hour where that thing is on your belly. It can be, yeah. And then people say, um, oh, my baby didn't like it or they were so wiggly. Yeah, right. Because they were being blasted, you know, and, it, you know, and anyway, whatever. If somebody wants to know the sex of the baby, now there's blood tests. Um, you know, mm. so you could do that if that was important to you and you could order it yourself. It's not even a complicated thing. Um, you know, and then there's a whole nother, you know, whole big topic here of this concept of peace of mind and that we have now ritualized ultrasound as the cornerstone of prenatal care in the Western mm-hmm. world. Really, it's all over now um, that somehow this blurry echo image somehow is going to give us peace of mind, which is not real. And it's, it is, it is like the, the most epic example of spiritual bypass in pregnancy that, that I can, that I can really see right now. Um, I, I strongly believe that it is a, a huge error of our times and it will not be something that we do to our babies um, in, in some time in the future. Mm. Yeah. So how, topic, though. yeah, it's interesting though. It really is because I mean, it's so, it's so related in the like cult of um, technocratic medicine that yeah. we all worship at and, and and the fear piece too, you know, like I, I'm sure this is like what gets talked about all the time in your group and on your pages and like how how do women how do we overcome the fear? How do we weigh the risks and but like why are we so afraid of birth? That's what mm-hmm. I'm asking you. Mm-hmm. What happened to our culture that we became so afraid of birth? Well, maybe you've heard of this uh, this word before, patriarchy. <laughs> maybe that rings a bell in your head. Um, yeah, patriarchy is what happened. Um, you know, that's the the, the nutshell right there. Uh, you know, we could talk about the history of obstetrics briefly if you wanted. Um, you know, it, it, but but really, what we ha- to bring it to present moment that we are afraid of birth because that is um, that is everything we've been told. Birth has been taken from us. It's been stolen from us for a very, very long time. And uh, we have, you know, burned, killed, and jailed the medicine women, you know, the the witches and the midwives and the healers and the herbalists and all of the women who supported women and who held who the knowers, right? The knowers have all been uh, mostly wiped out. It's a real struggle to stay alive if you are a knower that walks with women. Um, so that was very systemically and successfully done over, over the past many thousands of years, as I'm sure you know. Um, you know, we're afraid of birth today because why wouldn't we be? There's nothing injected into our lives as girls that uh, tells us, that normalizes it, that, that allies us to it. You know, and, it's, and I wanted to 
just briefly talk about the the fear piece of the overcoming the fear. I don't think fear needs to be overcome. I think that we need to ally to it. There's yeah. nothing wrong with being afraid, but I think working with that fear and identifying, you know, doing the work on it. So, so what is the fear? And then let's apply inquiry and, um, facts and spiritual, you know, uh, development to that fear, whatever it is. So, you know, if it's, if it's that, because really to get really like down to the point, uh, really it's that we're in a culture that's terrified of death that holds no reverence for entry and exit. And, you know, obviously this is super rooted in, in, um, Christianity and, and Christianity being kind of the founding, um, umbrella of our country as we know it today. And so you mix Christianity and, and the reality of patriarchy together, um, here we are, you know, women don't trust themselves. Men don't trust women. Women don't trust themselves. We're all playing out uh, the, the beautiful formula of patriarchy. It really is that. And so it's the decentering of women. It's the decentering of girls. And it's the um, compartmentalization of birth that now in our society, as we know it, birth is this thing that happens to us that sucks that we have to do. And so let's bypass it as much as possible by drugging ourselves up as much as possible. And we go do it in a little room in this little hospital somewhere in our town. And it's completely like separated, segregated from the rest of our lives. Our children don't come to the births. Um, Nobody's raised seeing birth. Nobody's raised talking about birth, unless usually it's very negative. Um, Obviously in media, we all know what we see, uh, which is not... um, that's not birth, right? Yeah. It's not birth at all. You and I both know that. So, so I think th- there's a lot of layers here. There's a huge conversation, but the fear of birth, I think the first step is to say, okay, I was trained to be afraid of this. So let's mm-hmm. just name that first. Cause once we start to apply inquiry and get critical, we can free ourselves. So is that fear actually mine? You know, so what, it, what have I been taught to be afraid of? Okay, well, that um, I could die, that my baby could die. Well, let's pause there for a second. Yes, that's true. And do you pack an emergency bag for the ER every time you go to the grocery store? No, why is that? Because we have accepted the risks of driving, right? We've accepted the risks of being outside of our home. Some people are so paralyzed by that fear of leaving their home that they don't leave their home, but most people do, right? Most people are taking risk every single day with how they live. And in fact, I could argue that everything we do has risk. Everything. Yeah, we could every we could literally all thing. <laughs> at any moment. Having a body and being alive. Eating food. You could choke and a die. Death sentence. Don't don't <laughs> ever eat by yourself because you could choke and no one could save you. Like the, I mean the whole thing is do we live in fear or do we live in in trust? And how do we how do we pivot from one to another? How do we navigate the two? How do we integrate the two? And how do we identify what fear is ours? Because not all fear is like bad. Some fear is um, is relevant to what is actually happening, but there's present fear. Like if we were in the wild and we see a bear and we get flooded with adrenaline, you know, that is, that is, um, that is helpful. Those hormones make you more alert and then they help you come up with a plan of action, right? So that's different than, oh, I'm afraid to go hiking because what if there was a bear, right? That's totally different. So anyway, yeah, it's a whole big conversation, but, but identifying- 
That critical thinking piece is so important. And we and girls aren't taught that. that. Yeah. Well, Americans aren't taught that. Um, we Americans are so bad at properly identifying risk. Like most people think they're more likely to die from a terrorist attack than the right. food they put in their mouth every day. Yeah. But it's like exponentially you're more likely to die from that. And it's and all curated. all sorts of studies about, about risk poor risk perception. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like manufactured. Fears. So what's helped what's helped me fundamentally free myself has been identifying that the ways I limit myself ha- are my socialization. They're not me. My essence is divine infinity, expansiveness, um, you know, courage, you know, blah 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 blah. That is my that is my my connection to source is to live in light and trust and courage and you know love and all of this stuff. So anything that is not that, it's just become very easy to be like, oh, let's look at that. Why am I nervous to do this? Why am I afraid to do this? Why am I why am I limiting you know my expansiveness here or here? And all of it, you know, pretty much comes back to, oh, right, my socialization. I'm, I was a girl. I'm now a woman. Um, nobody in our culture wants me to thrive. Everything is against me. And let's just name that. And um, let's, uh, let's delegate my anger appropriately and not take it on. And so it's been a, a really awesome liberation tool to accurately uh, identify patriarchy. Mm-hmm. It's been so helpful and, and it has not left me feeling paralyzed at all. It's been quite opposite of, um, of course, I'm like very angered by it. And I'm, I'm like at the high end of, of the most epic privilege of womanhood, you know, in, in the world. I'm white. You know, I came from a wealthy family. Uh, I'm straight, you know, like, you know, I have a, a male partner, like everything, everything that has been organized for me is, is some of the highest privilege in our society. And yet... Uh, I still am a woman living in patriarchy. And so, yeah, just really like learning about all of that and learning about women's oppression around the world has been so significant for me to align with my truth and have the courage to do it. Um, And which I guess kind of brings us back to wrapping up like how I got into this work because I saw a lot of abuse, did the whole all in my 20s, attended birth for a long time. And as I got closer to calling in my first child, um, I really knew that, that I had to be done with the system because um, I realized that if I wasn't going to birth in the system or if I wasn't going to birth with licensed midwives for a long, long list of reasons, um, was it really ethical to keep promoting my assistance of those models instead of putting all of my energy and focus towards building a paradigm that I wanted to see. Right. And so I just took a hard look at all of it. And I had always been on this path of midwifery, but every time I started a school, I couldn't stay with it. And I just saw licensed midwife after licensed midwife after licensed midwife let women down who I was supporting. And not always, obviously I saw great births too, but the parameters that licensure the parameters that licensure, um, what's the right way to say this? Licensed midwives are handcuffed mm-hmm. very significantly. I don't know how much you know about, about licensing, but it's a, it's a very, very successful way to limit the way that women can support women. 
And so, you know, you can't, you can't attend a birth if you're, if a woman is, you know, going into the labor process before 37 or after 42 weeks, or if it's twins or if it's breach or if it's da, 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 if their waters have been open for a long time, they have to transfer. If even just so many things that decenter the birthing woman and that prohibit the midwife giving individualized care. So I take massive, uh, massive, um, offense to that. And I have a lot of issues with that. And that's not to say there aren't wonderful licensed midwives, but they have chosen a very self-protective path that doesn't center women. It actually doesn't serve women. Even if you have been served by wonderful midwives, if they're withholding that service to other women, then they're not serving all women. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see. I see what you're saying. And it's rooted in the the whole paradigm and the whole approach does not center women. And it's, and it's, it's a lie that licensed home birth midwives are not of the medical model. So they're pitched as that, but they're actually not. They are very much of the medical model. And that doesn't mean they can't support a wonderful birth, but there's so many, uh, there's so many places where it is expected of them or required of them to intervene without giving the, without centering the mother, without giving individualized care, without letting the mother lead, without uh, letting the mother, you know, make her own choices. It's a whole nother conversation probably, but. Um, Which anyway. is why you were probably so like surprised. And you asked me specifically when I was telling my second daughter's birth story, like, so the midwives didn't like do anything. Ruin it? <laughs> no, they, they didn't. They all, the awesome. only thing they did was catch the baby when she came out and encourage me during the pushing. And you wanted them to catch the baby? Uh-huh. Yeah. My, I was, my, yeah, I was bent forward. So my hands were yeah. occupied and my husband was at my, at my mm-hmm. hands. Basically, He wasn't it's behind. beautiful. But right. yeah. That's beautiful. And that, that's what we need more of. You and know? They, so they asked that too beforehand. Do you want us to catch or one of you to catch? Beautiful. But yeah. Yeah. I, can I just interject really quick that for anyone who's listening, who thinks that you are like so radical and against any other kinds of birth, you really like on your podcast, in your group, you hold the space for all sorts of birthing experiences. Oh yeah. Like you're not like shutting down women who've had midwives or hospital birthed or plan to. Or well, this is where it gets, you know, Sam Harris is kind of a, an idol of mine because he handles this very well and very, yeah. uh, way better than I can. Um, this is where we need to be very clear that I'm critiquing an ideology, not the women. Mm. I'm critiquing the system, not the women in the system. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like surrogacy. Yeah. I would never, I would never blame a, a woman for being a surrogate, but I fucking for sure have major issue with surrogacy as a, uh, as a movement, you know, as a thing happening because the commodification of our bodies and babies is inherently absolutely disgusting and um, mm. whatever story for another time. But yeah, I've never thought about that. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, it's a big problem. You know, women, women cannot be free until women are free. And across the world, I'll just briefly say, you know, it's hard for Americans to really wrap their brain around this, but the truth is that across the world, the women who are surrogates, which means that people are buying their babies, right? They're being implanted potentially, um, but they're surrogates, right? They're carrying, they're carrying a baby, their baby. It's grown from their blood and what they eat and what they, the air they breathe and, you know, their voice and all the stuff. And, um, and then they're selling their children. Um, and those women around the world 
are some of the poorest women and they're black and brown, right? This is, you don't see like white uh, affluent women being surrogates, Mm -hmm. except for the very, 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 very unicorn story of sisters doing it for each other or something. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, you know, and you would be appalled if I put my baby up for sale on Craigslist, right? This is not any different. It is the commodification of our bodies, treating these women as incubators, literally. And right. And then taking their babies. And then we're like surprised that everyone's all fucking traumatized, you know, and then Mm -hmm. that gets into the primal wound stuff. And that when you separate a mother baby dynamic, when you separate a mother baby duo, they physiologically, biologically, they read the other as dead. Mm, A baby doesn't know that it's going Mm -hmm. to a family that's going to love them. Mm -hmm. They just got taken from their mother. They don't know that like someone else's embryo was implanted or anything. They don't know that it was, it was their mother's body that they, that oh my God. Yeah, I know. Really I'm actually, I'm glad. Yeah. I think about this with, um, gay men who, mm-hmm. you know, yep. I was almost an incubator a donor for yep. friends of mine years ago. And then we decided not to do that. And when they went ahead and had their baby with another donor and a surrogate, and I was watching them in the hospital, and then the next day they were home, I was like, oh, my God, yeah. that baby just grew in, in a woman's body, and now she's just gone. And but Amber, like- she doesn't matter. She doesn't matter at all. This is my whole point, right? Mm-hmm. So she is nothing. They, they used to be called surrogate mothers. Now they just say surrogate. Mm. Um. It's, you know, anyway, so I didn't intend well, to go and that, this, that idea, I really, I just want to go back because that just hooked my attention of to each other, they read as dead. And okay. I remember, I remember learning about this years and years ago with breastfeeding and women who choose not to nurse, that their body, even though they're holding their baby is then going, your baby died because their breasts are full of milk and there's, 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 there's no baby there. And so and this, that could really like plummet a woman further into postpartum depression. Of course. Of course. So this is where it's really hard in a culture that doesn't celebrate critique and uh, inquiry nuance. and nuance. It's yeah. really hard to have these conversations sometimes for people because yes. we're, it's what, what you have to, you have to have the ability and the willingness to separate the person from the system and the concepts we're talking about. So I want to be very, very clear. I've never wanted to talk about that with the gay men before. Cause I, cause I like, I love these men and I'm so happy they have their baby and like everyone got what they wanted. Did they? Yeah. I I know. Yeah. Yeah. The gay men did. They bought a baby. They bought a baby from an incubator. That's just the truth. Maybe they're great guys, whatever, but they bought a baby and our society says that that's okay. From an incubator who's actually a woman, who's a real woman, you know, who has a real life and who's right. now a mother to a baby she gave oh, away. And just to extend the complexity, it's yeah. their, it's one of their biological children and they deserve to have a family too. So, I mean, it's just, you know, there's- Who? who? The men. These, do they? Do they not? I don't know. I mean, the whole deserve, I, I really struggle with this concept of deserve because Why? Why, 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 why do they, why does anyone deserve a kid? Is mm-hmm. that, cause now we have to get into like biology, right? Like, do they, the only way that two gay men can have a baby is to take one from a woman. 
right? Because there's only one way that babies get here and it's through a woman. So that could be, um, and I'm not saying that all dynamics are bad. Like uh, absolutely Mm -hmm. there are um, many, 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 many babies out there whose mothers, um, because of, I would then argue, because of patriarchy, because we don't center mothers, because we treat women like shit, because they're at the bottom of the barrel in society, can't then have their babies for whatever reason. Many women um, get pregnant through rape. Many women get pregnant um, and never wanted that pregnancy, uh, but live in societies where abortion is unavailable or um, completely off the table for them. And so, yes, we, we've created this whole fucking model monster of babies coming into the world through women where women feel for whatever reasons they need to um, or cannot mother those babies. So um, if we get into adoption, you know, that's a whole nother interesting racket that we need to be really careful about. Um, but, you know, there are some ethical adoption systems, yes. Um, but why would, why, if, the, if, if gay men deserve, and I would just replace that word with want, if they want a baby, um, that, you know, in my mind, there are ethical ways to seek babies who cannot be cared for by mothers for whatever reason um, versus going and creating one through a woman and buying it. Um, you know, and you have to remember that most of this is happening in poor countries. You know, this is like the, when we look at like the numbers of surrogacy. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it's really painful. It's a whole. It is. It's yeah. hard to talk about. I it mean, is. you're you're making me think of things I've never thought about before. And yeah, let's just continue holding, holding space for everyone to hold complexity and nuance yeah. and be and open it, to thinking in different you know, ways. Yeah. And even, even with the, you know, like, I'm just going to call out the, the race card right now. Like I've never heard a black or brown woman say I deserve a baby. You know, I, I mean, and that doesn't mean they're not out there, but, and I am white, so I'm in white dominant spaces, but I've heard a lot of wealthy white women say who are, who are rendered infertile or, or whatever, or just don't want to have a baby, don't want to physically go through it. Um, you know, they, they still feel entitled to a baby. And so they buy one. And that doesn't mean that there aren't black and brown women doing that. You know, I know the famous, what was her name? Gab- Gabriella Union or something. She just used a surrogate and she's African-American, but um, she's also crazy, crazy wealthy. Um, anyway, so yeah, it's, it's a race thing. It's a, it's a um, class thing. It, and the truth is that we are not free as women, as a sex of this world until our bodies are no longer being commodified. It's just true. And then the last thing I'll say about it, because I feel like it's an important piece to say now that I've opened up this can of worms. If you are a surrogate or you have been or you know someone or whatever, if you're feeling very triggered by this, I guess I just want to leave you with, um, we are taught as girls and as women to be selfless. We are taught that the most beautiful gift we can give to another family is a child we are held, surrogates are held in patriarchy as um, these like saints, you know, they're revered the way they're treated. Oh my God. But what you'll hear most of the time that women say about surrogacy is, oh my God, that's so amazing. I could never do that. Why could you never do it? Because you can't give away your baby. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, so, so it's, it's really not to blame a woman who's chosen to do this path. It's actually totally in keeping with the way that we've been raised, which is be selfless. Um, and you, you know, it's very Christian, right? Like empty your cup, like give everything away and you will be, um, 
you will be seen, you will be validated. And there's also in the studies of surrogacy, there's like a crazy alarming, well, it's not alarming, it's totally understandable. There's a very high level of regret. Um, there's a lot of depression. Mm-hmm. There's, um, there's a lot, but then also furthermore, there's no space for surrogates to talk about their regret or their mm-hmm. depression because their whole society is telling them how brave they are and that they gave this gift of family to another family. Um, all the while, many of them are really suffering. Oh and I, I've worked with a lot of women who go on to have what they call keeper babies to mm-hmm. replace the mm-hmm. baby they gave away or sold oh um, because there's so much pain there. Yeah. So it's it's a lot. And also, by the way, oh my God, it, when you're a surrogate in America, when you enter into that contract, you uh you you waive your human rights as you, you waive your legal rights, and you actually under the law, my understanding is that you become a piece of property in that contract. So you wow. have yeah, you have no rights over your own body for as long as you're an incubator. Um, you will have no control or rights over your birth um, unless you do pre-write them into your contract. But legally, you shift from being a person to property. Um, there's a lot wow. of stuff there. Yeah. Jeez, Emily, you're just bringing so much to my attention that I'm not aware of. It's a lot. So, okay, should we go back to... <laughs> Um, well, yeah, finish. I mean, if, if you have more that you want to finish, I, I did want to speak really briefly in case any pregnant women are listening, which I'm sure there are. Um, I really like how you reframed the not overcoming fear. And that was something that really came to me during my second pregnancy, because I actually wasn't afraid during my first pregnancy. Um, and I was during my second because <laughs> I knew, I knew what I was facing down, you know, and I, I came to that realization like, oh yeah, I'm not going to, this fear isn't going to disappear. I'm about to do like the biggest thing a human can do. I just have to, like you said, ally myself with it. Yeah. And it's fine. It It's uh, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, oh gosh, what is it? It's something like, I was afraid and I did it anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Feel the fear and do it anyway. That's yeah. like it's my life motto, you know, yeah. everything. I was right. afraid to do my podcast. I was afraid of Right. Everything. Because, because, and why? So it's, the, the, it's because stepping into the unknown is scary. Why is it scary? Because we all live under this illusion that we're in control. And when we face the reality that we're not, we have to be met with our out of controlness. And birth is the most uh, in your face example other than death, right? Where, oh my God, we are so tiny on this rock spinning in space and none of it's in our control. And how do we navigate the enormity of scratching that surface of realization? You know, so birth is. Um, is really the, in my mind, the biggest experience while alive that we can face, um, knowing that we're just totally out of control and that the way to navigate it is to just like surrender and ride the waves. And oh my gosh, how do we do that when our entire life is about constructing illusions of control at every stage? <laughs> so, you know, so with the fear, you know, I tell women all the time when they speak about their fears to me. Um, so what? <laughs> it's going to happen, right? Like mm-hmm. birth is imminent. You can't get out of this experience. It's yeah. going to happen. And this force so, is bigger than you. Right. And it is you. It's meeting, it's meeting a part of your divinity, right? Mm-hmm. Like your connection to source. It is you. 
your your uterus is going to contract and push your baby out. Your baby is going to wiggle and tuck its little chin and and emerge from your body. Like that, birth is you. It's not this outside. Um, crazy, scary, torturous, suffering, blah, blah, blah thing. We've just gotten so confused about what birth is because the treatment of birth has become so disgusting. So now women, you know, think birth equals torture. Birth is suffering. Birth is, you know, fill in the blank. But the truth is, you know, actual birth, birth is great. Birth is intense. It can be, um, painful. It can be ecstatic. Like we said, the spectrum, but really it's a spiritual experience. And so how you apply your perspective, you know, what, what your thoughts are around birth will dictate how your birth goes. And that's Mm -hmm. the real shit, right? So if you're in an abusive relationship and you don't know how you're going to care for this baby and maybe you didn't even want this pregnancy and you don't feel safe at home and, you know, you layer on the reality of many women's lives, um, birth will reflect your life, you know? So when we birth the way we live, we die the way we live. Um, And so it's a one giant offering, you know, to do the work. I, I think that women... Pregnant women are, you know, Sister Morningstar says, pregnant women are the most sacred humans on the planet, and birth is the highest spiritual experience we can have, um, and we got to, like, get right with it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And prepare ourselves for it yeah. as that, right. which we, we don't talk we about don't. in this culture, and we don't do. Well, and, um, and yet, we, we can, right? So we do talk about it, like in the spaces I've created, in the spaces yeah. you've created, we, we are talking about it. And, yeah. and even just um, the, the, the ounce of community, you know, uh, so many women are birthing in power around the world because they're hearing the medicine stories of my podcast, you know, of women mm-hmm. sharing their birthing in power stories. And so um, it doesn't take much for women who are open and ready because it's in our bones, this is not a, um, this isn't a foreign concept to our DNA, to our biology, to our ancestry, like to our karma. You know, we are all descendants of women who've birthed, right? So there's something really profoundly simple about that, that you don't actually have to do anything. And that was one of my favorite parts of having a, a wild pregnancy was remembering I didn't have to do anything. Right. That the biology of, of my body and of my baby's body wants to thrive. And right. how, how cool is that? <laughs> and that the spiritual preparation doesn't, doesn't have to be like meditating for two hours every day on your amazing ecstatic birth coming up. But no. just knowing that, just knowing that birth is in your bones and that 99.9999999999% of your ancestors gave birth naturally at home because giving birth in the hospital with a dude there up in your business has only happened for the last few generations and humans have been walking the earth for a really long time way longer than we can wrap our heads around yeah this is in you and this for anyone listening i talk about this with my first birth when i was on emily's podcast Mm -hmm. um yeah and and it's it's interesting and we cannot ignore the fact that the women that at least I've encountered who have had the luck of witnessing a hospital birth usually don't choose that route. 
You know, I know so many women who attended a birth, you know, and, or they tried being a doula or they went to their friend's birth and um, saw what the hospital had to offer and, uh, you know, and said, okay, cool. Now I know what that is and, and I'm not interested in that. So, you know, and, and like you said, I mean, my, my intention and what I'm doing is I'm carving out a space uh, virtually and physically for women to reclaim their womanhood. And birth is a pretty darn big part of that. Um, and it, it is not, and a lot of women misinterpret this because we are in a society of shame and, and we're in a society of everyone needs to talk really carefully so that nobody's feelings get hurt. And that's not my business. Like, that's not my job. Actually, um, I, I would like to facilitate some energy moving in your body if you're feeling triggered by this. Like, let's talk about it because I love you and I trust you. And what I'm, if what I'm saying is confronting to you, that just means that there's some work there, right? Because it's, it wouldn't be confronting if you felt powerful and totally aligned with your truth, right? Because then you're like unshakable. So, you know, part of, you know, kind of my platform is to carve out this space of women who want to go there, who want to apply criticism to um, the systems that oppress them and abuse them. And, um, and for women who want to birth and power and who want to exit the system and discover and really claim their own self-authority um, and their own instinctual mothering. You know, the women in my community don't go to pediatricians for well, for well baby visits. Um, they're the pediatrician, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't ever done that either. Yeah. Me either. Um, before we close and I ask you to share more about your offerings in the space that you're holding, I wanted to touch again briefly on like, so the reason that birthing and pregnant mothers are oppressed so strongly under this umbrella of patriarchy that we're living under is because birthing women are the most powerful women on the, it is the most empowering and powerful experience that one can have. Um, I, I, I like, I can't say, I can't say that enough. And to see that taken away from women, I think is the guiding force behind what you're doing clearly and is such an important thing for me to I just like I'm here with this podcast and with my herbalism to empower people and really like taking birth back into your own hands is such an empowering experience right right and it's worth saying of course there are very very rare complications where industrialized birth can support and sometimes saves those mm -hmm. lives. It goes without saying. Um, and it still remains true that birth is normal. Birth is biologically um, set up to work. And what happens when a woman claims her birth and claims her, her and emerges, I should say, emerges from her birth feeling powerful, um, it's a domino effect, right? So then if she's birthing an instinct and if she's nursing and if she's you know sleeping with her baby and she's um and she's assessing her baby herself and she's um supported in that postpartum time to um follow her instincts that setup is completely earth-shattering that setup is the destruction of patriarchy 
that setup is matriarchy in action. You know, this Mm -hmm. is very, very tangible because like you just said, Amber, if women, if the vast majority of women, and this is the prayer in my heart, this is what gets me up every day excited. If the vast majority of women on this planet were walking around feeling powerful, having birthed in power and mothering in power, um, everything would change. Women would be recentered. We would require it, right? I have a matriarchal household where I am centered. You probably do too. <laughs> a lot of women I know do. That doesn't mean we don't love and appreciate our men and all of this stuff. It just means that we're centered and that it's understood that I am kind of the life force of our family. And what happens with that is it helps me feel powerful. It helps me do my work in the world and I'm changing fucking lives. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, it's just like we know when we, when we study um, women's oppression around the world and, and, and the ways the, qu- the quickest way to change communities is educate a girl. Right mm-hmm. in the in poverty uh, ridden villages, um, it's just incredible studies on this and incredible TED talks and books and all this stuff. That if you educate a girl, an entire community will grow, an entire community will change. Um, and interestingly, we cannot say the same about boys. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. So you know more on that. Perhaps in a you could research yourself. You could look at look at things if you're interested in that. Um, if you're listening, but it's it's really. Yeah, it's really. It just makes sense to center women. It really right. does. It in just the does. home, in society. I mean, really, it's what everyone wants, like deep down, you know, even if like these men in power are acting like they don't, like really, they just want to go back to their mama, mm-hmm. you know, or be inside a vagina in yeah. some way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, women, <laughs> women are where it's at. Yeah. You know, and I think there's this uh, really massive misunderstanding about patriarchy and matriarchy where women all the time will say, um, you know, but but I don't want to just replace one with the other. Like, it needs to be balanced. And oh, God, I cannot tell you. It's like nails on a chalkboard to me because it, it says to me that they, first of all, don't understand what ma- the concept of matriarchy and, and that they haven't ever researched matriarchy in any way. Um, and it also sadly says that they're not experiencing matriarchy because matriarchy is not replacing where women are just in power and they're just being fucking assholes to everybody like how the men are. Yeah, we're subjecting men to crazy medical procedures. Oh, and we're like raping all the men now yeah. and we're, we're imprisoning, you know, all, you know, it is, no, that is not, that is not what this is. Yeah. And you can actually research this. You can actually learn about this. You can see where this happens in the world when women are centered um, and when women are, are uh, majority governing um, and when women are centered in homes, everybody thrives everybody thrives. It lifts up the entire world because we are women. We are mothers. So of course we lift everybody up, right? It's our, it's our whole, it's our whole genius. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I did just want to tie up before we close that. And maybe it was obvious, but I just feel like it should be said. So when I realized that I could not birth in the system, I realized that I could just give birth on my own, which was a huge epiphany for me. Um, I had been totally brainwashed against that in my birth community and realized that was crazy. And so I decided that I would have a conscious conception with my partner and it was beautiful and that I would have a wild pregnancy, self-managed, and then that I would free birth. And we went to Hawaii, um, where, which was my dream. We saved up money and um, executed my dream perfectly. And I had a beautiful, powerful, freaking crazy free birth 
took 52 hours. Tell that story on your podcast. You listen to that. Um, It's a two part because it was so long. (laughs) Um, And and I just I knew I had complete clarity that for my next stage of work that I needed to free birth to walk the message so that I could um, keep keep doing this. You know, I knew that it was like the next thing. Um, and so I started the podcast cause I wanted to be inundated with, with birthing and power stories. And it is just crazy how it's taken off. It's just so exciting because it says women are ready. Yeah, it is exciting. I told you on your show when I free birthed my oldest 12 years ago, I was like scratching for information on the internet on one website um, didn't know anyone who had done it, you know, read a few like stories on that website. Um, but now just like on Instagram, I'm constantly right. seeing them and be like, my baby came. Oh, by the way, we did a free birth. Yeah. You know, like, free birth. constantly. Yeah. I know. I, all, so cool. Even like women, families that I wouldn't think would do that mm-hmm. at all. Totally. You know, are doing oh, yeah. It's not all like granola hippie girls. No, at not all. at all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I support a, a lot of women of color who understand, uh, how they are almost pretty much guaranteed to be treated in the system and Mm -hmm. that they have a four times as likely um, mortality rate in the system, which is a freaking massive deal. Um, And so they're like, of course I'm staying home. Of Mm -hmm. course I am. You know, and, and, and free birth, I just want everyone really to remember that free birth is just birth, right? It's like calling organic food organic food. It's just food, right? It's just birth. It's just that we've gotten so off track with uh, what birth is in our species um, and and the truth of it and the power of it um, that we have to call it free birth. So free birth is birth unhindered. It's birth undisturbed. It's birth in the support of loved ones, um, you know, and without engaging in the system. Yeah. So, yeah. It's definitely gaining speed. I mean, it's hard to tell sometimes because I'm in the hurricane of it. So it, I'm like, damn, it seems like everyone's having free births. <laughs> but <laughs> I can't tell because I'm like, you know, like a leader of this movement now. Yeah. So maybe it's just that or... Well, I just admire you so much, Emily, for holding the space so strongly. And um, you told me off air last time we talked that you you have been majorly attacked online oh, yeah. and have like lies told about you and oh God, you just so think today on this interview that are going to trigger people to attack you and probably me too and I have a much harder time <laughs> being um, as like radical as I actually am in some ways because but remember I'm that radical of, you're what sorry I'm afraid of that of, I just of being attacked and lied about yeah. Well, I'd like to say two and things. It, it certainly happened to me, but sure. Well, yeah, two things real quick to that. So yeah, yeah. Radical, etymology of radical is back to roots. Right. Right. So that right. always helps guide me when I yeah. when I use the term radical is like, oh, back to roots. Like yeah. that is so much of how that is who you are. That is how you're living. That is your work. That is your platform. And so embrace that. You know, radical means back to roots. And the only reason that um that radical has a negative connotation is obviously we live in concrete, a concrete, you know, jungle that, that um, is the opposite of back to our roots. So, you know, I, that always kind of helps me because there's so much charge around the term radical, but then I remember, Oh, right. Like it just means back to my roots. Yeah. It means I'm living authentically. Yeah. Um, it literally, it's literally the word root R I D I T L E. Yeah. A radical is a root. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, and then the other piece is, you know, that we, that it helps me remember that we're descendants of witches, that we, 
you know, I don't know if you identify as that or not, but I, I def- definitely do. And, um, you know, really kind of, of course you're afraid to be attacked. <laughs> Who's not? Right? Like, who's not? It's scary. It sucks. It has been so hard. So hard. And what else are we going to do? Like, stay fucking silent? Like, you know, like, we women are ready. I'm yeah. ready. And and I do it for my ancestors. I do it for my daughter and future daughters. You mm-hmm. know, like, it's – there is no other way, you know. And, yes, it's kind of like, duh, of course I'm going to be attacked. Like, you know, I, I, have had to integrate that experience and accept it. Um, but I, I'm learning how to not take it personal pretty quickly, Mm -hmm. thankfully. And, and I just see it more as like the battle of light and dark and I am for women and I trust women and I want to see women centered and I center women and like end of fucking story, (laughs) you know? So if that's going to get me attacked, You know, I mean, even the surrogacy thing is like, okay, if you're going to attack me that I think the commodification of babies and women is bad, come at me, dude. Like I already, like, it's fine. Mm. You you know, if you can't see that, if you're not ready to see that, you know, my entire platform is free the women, (laughs) trust women, center women. And so if somebody like doesn't get that, I don't, I don't really care. It doesn't really land for me Um, because it's not about me. It's about women. Right. It's about women being free and being being supported. So how can that be wrong? Yeah. Well, I I just really admire you. And also hearing the story about you as a teenager when you were 14 and then 16, <laughs> it makes sense why you're such a badass go-getter, mover and shaker, person who makes things happen. Cause you've just been like following yeah. your instinct since you were very young. Totally. Very self-motivated. It's so cool. And I was put in like private Catholic school. So I'm no, I'm no stranger to like, you know, having kids hate me and, and being the witch in these spaces where I was supposed to shut up. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I've been training for this work <laughs> my whole life, you know, having to emotionally and socially survive in these, you know, really conservative Catholic spaces as a kid. Yeah. Taught me, taught me a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. So tell us about all the things that you, that you offer. Yeah. So my company is called free birth society and it's an online platform, um, that is both an educational, um, has an educational branch and it's also a community. So we, if you're interested in free birth and some of the stuff we talked about today, we have a huge, enormous um, guide, an online course called the complete guide to free birth. And it is a lot of content. It's awesome. It's video based, but there are transcripts for everything and um, cute little worksheets and PDFs and stuff, but it's video based, video lesson based. Um, and it covers everything that we could think of to discuss and offer perspective on to have a wild pregnancy, to deconstruct uh, obstetrical care and to um, have a ecstatic birth on your own terms. So that is online. Our website's freebirthsociety.com. And then we also have a community that is quite exclusive um, and awesome. And uh, if you're interested, if you're a woman and you're interested in what we've talked about today and you're really resonating with it, um, then it's probably a space for you. It's an online um, private proprietary network that you have to be vetted for and you have to apply and um, and sign non-disclosure agreements and we take it all very seriously, but it is so amazing. And it's about as kind of quote unquote safe space, I feel like, as you can get for a radical 
community of women online um, because it's super vetted. And um, that has radical birth keepers. It has midwives. It has women who have not yet had children. It has women who don't want children. It has mothers. Um, so it's a whole eclectic, wonderful group of, of women. Um, and you can find that on our website as well. So those are kind of like the two main pieces of engagement right now. We are about to publish our first book this summer, uh, written by Yolanda Clark, who wrote The Complete Guide to Free Birth. So you can join our mailing list for that. And then we do have what I'm most excited about is um, two things. We have a Radical Birth Keeper course coming out next year that then we will tour in person as well, but it'll be an online course first. Um, and then we also have um, a retreat in Dominican Republic coming up with Katya, um, my friend Katya, who lives there. It's a mother's retreat. So it's a, it's a seven-day retreat in paradise. It's so freaking beautiful. Um, that is centering the mother. So you don't have to be a mother to come, but it is um, really a chance to come connect. And um, I'm kind of framing it as we're going to do all the things that have been stolen from us as women. So it's, we're going to get back to basics. We're going to sing. We're going to dance. We're going to, uh, we're going to talk. We're going to share in story medicine. We're going to, um, you know, we're going to swim. We're going to see the baby whales because it's um, mating, or, I'm sorry, it's birthing season for the humpbacks. Um, we're going to do, oh yeah, we're going to do communal yoni steams and sound healing at night. I mean, it's, mm. it's going to be really awesome. So we have, I think three or four spaces left. Oh my God, you should come Amber. <laughs> I will. I, just, I don't want to leave Nixie yet, and I don't want to bring her. But I yeah. want to come for the whales and the women someday <laughs> in the future. Yeah. What some women are doing, if you if you're feeling the same way as Amber, is some there are a couple day passes too, um, mm. where the your whole family you know could come and be nearby, and then you come to the retreat and then mm-hmm. sleep with your kiddos at night. Um. Anyway, so yeah, everything's on our website. There's lots of lots of stuff, including going on. your podcast. Oh, right, and the podcast is an awesome free resource where women share their their stories of birthing and power outside the system. Um, and then we also have educational stuff. Like today, we're about to put out. Well, it'll be not today when you put it out, but we're doing a whole a whole unpacking of gestational diabetes and GBS and ultrasound and Rogam and and RH factor and yeah. So it's like a whole awesome podcast. Yeah, I'm really I was proud of it. I'm in the online group and like any question that someone could possibly, you really cover the whole spectrum of pregnancy and birth. And I've seen you on Instagram stories too. do the like, ask me anything mm-hmm. and you get questions across the spectrum and you seem to always have an answer. Like you were super well-educated and experienced in all things pregnancy and birth. Thank you. Well, I have to give credit to Yolanda because I ask her. She's like my mentor. I'm like, what do I say to this? How do I feel about vasectomies? <laughs> I know I don't like them and I don't want my partner to get one, but why exactly? And then she's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. she's amazing. She's, she's the smartest woman I've ever met. Um, wow. So she assists me a lot in, in this platform. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And you can always email me if you want to reach out and connect and um, you can find all our info on, on our website. Okay, and on Patreon, you will be um, we'll be giving a coupon code for fifty dollars off that online course. Yes, absolutely. Okay, awesome. awesome. Thanks so much, Emily. So so great to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Yeah. Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and will always put any relevant links in the show notes. You can find past episodes, my blog, 
and our handmade herbal medicines at mythicmedicine.love. We've got reishi, lion's mane, elderberry, mugwort, yarrow, redwood, body oils, an amazing sleep medicine, heart medicine, earth essences, so much more. More than I can list there. Mythicmedicine.love. While you're there, check out my quiz, Which Healing Herb is Your Spirit Medicine? It's fun and lighthearted, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with both the medicine that you're in need of and the medicine that you already carry and can bring to others. If you love the show, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash medicine stories. It is so worth your while. There are dozens and dozens of killer rewards there, and I've been told by many folks that it's the best Patreon out there. We've got ebooks, downloadable PDFs, bonus interviews, guided meditations, giveaways, resource guides, links to online learning, and behind the scenes stuff, and just so much more. The best of it is available at the $2 a month level. Thank you. And please subscribe on whichever app you use. Just click that little subscribe button and review on iTunes. It's so helpful. And if you do that, you just may be featured in a listener spotlight in the future. The music that opens the show is by Marie Sue. That's M-A-R-I-E-E. S-I-O-U-X from her beautiful song, Wild Eyes. Thank you, Marie. And thanks to you all. I look forward to next time.